were there in Isaiah chapter 51. And I want you to just notice just real quickly by way of introduction, if you look at verse 1, it says, hearken. If you look at verse 4, it says, hearken. If you look at verse 7, it says, Hearken. The word hearken is an older word, maybe an archaic word, which means to listen or to pay attention. And he gives us three different times in this passage here. He tells us, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. I want you to hearken. If you look at verse 9, he says, awake, awake. If you look at verse 17, he says, awake, awake. And if you look at verse 1 of the next chapter, chapter 52, he says, awake, Awake. So three times he says, hearken in the chapter, and three times he says, awake, awake. And you may ask, well, why, why does he have to say awake twice? Well, sometimes when you're trying to wake someone up, you've got to say awake a couple times, you know? And he's trying to wake us up. And uh, tonight, I, uh, we don't have to be long, and we won't be long tonight. I, I really just want to focus on the first eight verses of the chapter, and we're going to, uh, you know, look at the, the, the verses at the end of the chapter as well as we're going through the eight. But I want to use those three hearkens as an outline tonight and just give you three different areas in which we are supposed to be paying attention and in which we are supposed to be looking and listening and being attentive. If you look at verse 1 there, the Bible says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. So he's talking to believers or people that are interested in the truth, interested in the things of God. And he says, if you're following after righteousness, if you're seeking the Lord, he said, I want you to hearken. I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. And then notice what he says. He says, look, all right? Another theme that he gives us is he says, I want you to hearken. And then he says, I want you to look. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. Okay, the word whence means from where? So he's saying, I want you to look to the rock from where you were hewn out of, from where you came, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look at verse 2. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For those of you that like to take notes, uh, point number one tonight, I want you to notice, we are to look to the former things. We are to look to the past. He's, t- he's talking to uh, Christians or believers, people that are following after righteousness and following the rock and, and, and following the, the Lord and seeking the Lord. And he says, I want you to look back to where you came from. I want you to look at Abraham and Sarah, the ones who I brought you from and called out of. Now, here's what I want you to get. If, if you keep your finger there in Isaiah 51, obviously that's the text for tonight. Go with me to the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter number 15, all right? If you start in the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 15, and look at verse number 4. There are some people, uh, and they call themselves dispensationalists, who teach that, you know, God dealt with man in different ways at different times, and some of these things, some, some people that are hyper-dispensationalists will take it so far as to say that, like, for example, the stories of the Old Testament uh, aren't important. They don't matter. They, they, we can't learn anything from it. Some people will take it as far as saying that it, as a New Testament believer, only the epistles written by the Apostle Paul are the ones that we should read and study. I mean, they'll say not even the Gospels that are about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only what Paul wrote is for our dispensation. Now, obviously, we don't agree with that. We don't believe that at all. Romans chapter 15, which was written by Paul, by the way, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said this, Romans chapter 15, look at verse 4. He says, For whatsoever things were written 
aforetime. That's, those are the for, a former time, the things that used to be, the past. He said, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for your learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, here the Bible is teaching us that we are, and Isaiah is trying to tell us, he says, I want you to hearken, I want you to listen, I want you to pay attention. He said, well, what should I be listening to? What should I be paying attention to? And he said, I want you to look back to the former things. I want you to look back to the past. He said, I want you to look back to Abraham and Sarah. And, and, and then Paul would say, hey, those things which were written aforetime were written for our learning. He says, we can go back and we can learn from those things. There are things that we can apply to our lives. You're there in Romans 15. Go one book over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. You're there in Romans, so just one book over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And look at verse number 11. Notice he says the same thing. In a different way, but basically the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11, notice what he says. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. Now the word in samples just means examples. He said the things happened unto them, talking about the former things, talking about the, the, the Old Testament characters or people that lived before us. He said it happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. The word admonition means counsel or advice upon whom the ends of the world are come. And here's what you can understand. You know, people say, oh, we don't need the Old Testament, or you don't need to study the Old Testament, you don't have to study the, the, the Gospels, you don't have to study those things. In our dispensation today, we just need the writings of Paul or whatever it is. But here's what you can understand. The reason that God gave us that Old Testament book and those stories, some, some of those things don't apply to us. Some of those doctrines aren't things that we follow. The Lord Jesus Christ and the book of Hebrews repealed some of those Old Testament laws as far as uh, us doing them and practicing them as New Testament believers. But here's what you got to understand. We can learn and we can be admonished and we can take counsel and advice as we go back and we read those Old Testament accounts. There are things that apply to us and we can learn from them and we can grow. I mean, how many of you have been learning as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah? As we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and studying, you know, studying the life of Nehemiah and the things that he did and the things that he didn't do. There, you know, you say, well, that's not our dispensation and we're New Testament believers, but we can learn from his life. That's why you need to come to church. That's why we preach through books like 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the book of Nehemiah. That's why we preach through. I, I, was, I can't remember who I was talking. I think Brother Vladi, I was talk, we were talking about the books of the Bible that we've preached through in Verity Baptist, at Verity Baptist Church. Our churches in September will be five years old. We preach verse verse by verse, chapter by chapter, over the last five years through the books of Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, where we'll be done in Isaiah you know, by the time the year's over, uh, Hosea, Matthew, John, Acts, uh, let's see, Romans, Jude, that's a lot of books. Five years. I'm not talking about. I'm not even talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about verse by verse, chapter by chapter, where we went through and studied the books. You say, why would you do that? Because they were written for our admonition. They were written for us to be able to learn from. They were written so that we can look at those Old Testament saints. You say, well, those are the former things, but you can learn them and you can apply them. And here's the question that I want to ask you: Is how well do you know the Bible? Because we spend a lot of time, you know, on doing a lot of things, but the best thing you can do with your time is to pick up this book and read it. 
And tomorrow morning, wake up and pick up the Bible and read it and, and, and study it and learn it and, and memorize it. You say, well, why would I do that? Because it was written for our admonition. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. You can learn from it and you can apply. And here's what you understand. In these three hearkens that Isaiah gives us, they're all connected. And you'll see that in a second. Go back to Isaiah 51 and look at verse number 3. And by the way, you ought to learn the, the God of the Old Testament because when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, that's the God that we'll be dealing with. The God of the Old Testament. It's the same God in the New Testament. But notice, look at verse number 3 of Isaiah 51 and look at verse number 3. People say, your guys' church is old-fashioned. Whenever someone tells me that, you know, sometimes they're mocking us. They're saying, you guys are old-fashioned. I take that as a compliment. I mean, God likes old-fashioned. And notice how old-fashioned God's going to get in verse 3. The Bible says, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden. I mean, when Jesus returns to this earth and sets up the millennial reign, you say, what is it going to be like? It's going to be so old-fashioned, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says it's going to be like Eden. Notice what he says. And her desert, like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. When, when, when Jesus returns to this earth and he lifts that curse off this earth and he removes you know, the, 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 the result that sin has had upon this earth, the Bible says it's going to be back like it was in the Garden of Eden. Look at verse 11, same chapter, Isaiah 51. Look at verse 11. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Doesn't this sound good? And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. In that millennial reign, it'll be just like the Garden of Eden. The, the animals won't be eating each other. They'll be vegetarians. And I don't, I don't know, people ask me, oh, will we be vegetarians? I have no idea. I hope not, you know, but you know, who knows? But you got to understand this. God puts an emphasis on learning the former. So don't, you know, don't, don't think, oh, you know, Wednesday nights, 1 Samuel, why are we learning about Eli and Hophni? Those things don't apply to me. Hey, we can learn from their lives, and we can learn from these Old Testament stories and these Old Testament books. And he says, I want you to go back to where it started, to Abraham and Sarah. And he said, learn from them. He says, hearken and look to the former, uh, number one. Number two, I want you to notice what he says. He says, hearken again. Verse four, notice Isaiah 51, four. He says, hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arms shall they trust. Notice verse six, lift up your eyes to the heaven. Now, here, he transitions from the former to the future. Notice what he says. And look unto the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever. That's a good eternal security uh, verse right there out of Isaiah. People say, well, salvation only lasts, you know, if you fall away, then you'll... No, salvation shall be forever. That's what the Bible says. When you get saved, you get that salvation, it'll last forever. It won't stop. That's called eternal security. 
And he says, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Okay, now keep your finger there in Isaiah 51, and go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Let's give you a couple of cross-references. So point number one, we have the former, verses 1 and 3. Uh, point number two, we are to look to the future, verses 4 and 6. Now let me give you a couple of cross-references, Matthew 24, and look at verse number 29. Matthew 24 and verse 29. Matthew 24 is was known as the Olivet Discourse. It is where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, basically taught on end times prophecy. Matthew 24 is not the only uh, place that that's found, but we'll look at Matthew 24 for now. We'll look at other references here in a minute. But notice Matthew 24 and verse number 29. Now, when you get to Matthew 24, put a finger in Matthew 24, but make sure you've got another finger in Isaiah 51 and verse 6. I want you to compare these, all right? So, so be in Matthew 24, but get right now to Isaiah 51 and verse 6. And let me show you uh, that it's referring to end times. Notice verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heaven and look upon the earth beneath. And I want you to notice what he says here. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. The Bible, every time the Bible talks about the coming of the Lord, end times prophecy, he always mentions the, you know, the heavens and things happening in the heavens, the stars falling and all these things. Can you get back to Matthew 24? Look at verse number 29. Notice what he says. Matthew 24, verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, I don't understand what's so difficult to understand about those, uh, that sentence there, but the Bible says it's immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the, notice, the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Okay, so there you got the messing of the heavens. Now notice what he says. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, so in verse 30, who appears? Verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. When does he appear? Immediately after the tribulation. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? talking about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. You say, when does he come? He comes after the tribulation. You say, why are you making a big deal about that? Because we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But notice, when he comes, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. Now go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. You're there in Matthew, so you go past Mark and into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 21 and look at verse number... I'm sorry, get to Luke 21, but go back to Isaiah 51. Luke 21... And uh, look at Isaiah 51. Luke 21 and Isaiah 51. Notice what he says in Isaiah 51. Look at verse 6. He says, lift up your eyes to heaven. All right? Lift up your eyes to heaven. Go back to Luke 21. I want you to notice what he says in Luke 21. Look at verse 27. Luke 21, verse 27. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. Notice what he says. And when these things uh, begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? Go, Go to Acts, just real quickly. Go to Acts chapter number one. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, when he left the disciples there after his resurrection? In, in Acts chapter number one. Look at verse number eight. Acts chapter one and verse eight. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. Acts chapter number 1 
in verse number 8. If you're there in Luke, you can just go past the book of John into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ said this to his disciples right before his ascension. He said, the Bible says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. Notice, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. So Jesus just ascended up to heaven. He went up in a cloud. The disciples are gathered there. He just gave them a commission. He said, he said you know, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me both in uh, Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He ascends up to heaven while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven. As he went up, behold, uh, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now notice what the two men said. These are angels that appeared uh, to the disciples as they're watching Jesus ascend up to heaven. In verse 11, notice what he says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, here's what he's saying. When Jesus ascended, he gave them a job. He gave them a commission. He said, I want you to go to the uttermost. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. He ascends up to heaven, and they're all standing there going like this. And the, and the two men come, and they say, why are you looking up? He said, don't be looking up to heaven. You got a job to do. You got to get busy. You got to get to work. You got to go and preach the gospel to every creature. But here's what you got to understand. We are not commanded to just be sitting there looking, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the coming of the Lord, just looking up and saying, it could be today. We are commanded to get to work. In fact, when they were looking up, they were told, the angel said, stop looking up. Said, why are you just wasting your time looking up to heaven? But here's what you gotta understand. There's coming a day when God will say, Look up, because your redemption draweth nigh. He says, When you see these things, when they begin to happen, when you begin to see all these signs of the coming of the Lord, he said, At that point, you can start looking up because it's getting close. Now, here's what you gotta understand, okay? Go, uh, well, let me give you some, some verses. Go to 1 John chapter number 3, real quickly. 1 John chapter number 3. If you start at the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, uh, if you go past Jude, which is, which is just one chapter, you'll find 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So go to 1st John chapter number 3 and look at verse number 2. You've got to understand this. Let me give you this and, and then we'll, we'll get into something, something different. 1st John chapter 3 and verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. 1st John chapter number 3 and verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Notice that's future. He said, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, Referring to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. He said, we, we don't really know what our glorified bodies are going to be like, and we can take guesses and study the Bible. He says, we don't really know how it's all going to play out, but when he appears, we'll see him and we'll be like him when he appears. But notice verse 3. And every man that hath this hope, what hope? The fact that we shall be like him. Every man that hath this hope in him, notice what a, what a man that has this hope in him does, purifies himself even as he is pure. See, people who live 
with eternity in view. People who live their lives realizing that this world is just temporary. It, 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 it'll, it'll wax old. It, it'll be corrupted. It will be destroyed. And the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And the fact that we will spend eternity with God. And we will be rewarded for the things we did on this earth. The people who live with the hope of eternity. The Bible says those people purify themselves and prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord. Go, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me show you this in the life of the Apostle Paul. You're there in First uh, John. If you go, keep going backwards past First and Second Peter, past James, Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, and you'll find 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Notice what the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 6, 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says this, For I am now ready to be offered. This is the Apostle Paul when he was getting ready to die. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Notice, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. See, when you live your life in a way looking and anticipating, not wasting your time gazing up to heaven, but realizing that one day Jesus will come back, and one day this world will be done, and one day it just really won't matter what I, you know, what, what I did on this earth. You know, the, the Bible says, the, the, there's a great song that says, only one life so soon shall pass, only what's done for Christ shall last. When we live our lives in that way, looking to the future and realizing that there is an eternity, there is a judgment, there is a judgment seat of Christ, there's a great white throne also for the unbeliever, and, and, and we have to live our lives in that way. That person purifies and prepares themselves. The Apostle Paul, the reason said that I am ready to be offered, the reason that I know that I will get a crown is because I've lived my life with eternity in view. Now here's what you can understand, okay? We're told to look at the former, to prepare for the future, because when we look at men like Abraham, when we look at men like David, when we look at men like Nehemiah, when we look at men uh, from the Old Testament that sacrificed and did great feats like Gideon, that did great things for God, it challenges us and it encourages us to do something great for God and it prepares us for the future. But here's what you understand. When you look to the future, you must always look to the Father because things are going to get bad. Go, go. Go back to Isaiah 51, and then we're going to go back to Luke. But let me just show you a few things in Isaiah 51. Look at verse number 7. This morning we were talking about fear. And in Isaiah 51, he talks a lot about fear as well. And I want to deal with a different aspect of the idea of fear. Isaiah 51, look at verse 7. Notice what he says, Isaiah 51 and verse 7. Hearken, so there we got our third hearken. Unto me, ye that know righteousness... The people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach. The word reproach means to be mocked at or to be put to shame. That's what we were talking about this morning with Nehemiah, right? They were, they were uh, you know, lying about him. They were attacking his reputation. They were reproaching him. He says, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revelings. That's a scathing criticism. Look at verse 8. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment. 
So why should I not be afraid of men? Here's why. Because the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. And my righteousness, this is God speaking, my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Now skip down to verse number 12, okay? Look at verse 12. You say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that man will be eaten up like a garment. What does it mean that the worm shall eat them like wool? What, what, what is God saying? Notice verse 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? Do you see that? You say, what does it mean when he says that they will be eaten up like a garment? What does it mean when he says that the worm shall eat them up like a wool? Here's what it means. Why are you afraid of a man that is eventually going to die because every man eventually dies? And see, you and I spend our days being so, you know, upset and being so scared. And what if they do this? And what if they do that? And what if they come after our children? And what if they make us vaccinate? And what if they put us in prison? And what if, you know, but here's the thing. All those what ifs are us being scared of men that are mortal and die. And he says, why? Notice verse 12. I, even I, am he that comforted you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the son of man, which shall be made grass. Grass withers. Grass falls away. He says, look, these men are going to die. Now, now, go back to Luke 21, okay? Let me, let me just give you a real, a real quick, like I said, we won't be very long tonight. But let me just give you a real quick thought, Okay? You say, we look at the former to prepare us for the future. But when you look at the future, and when you look at it properly within its context, you have to realize that there is coming a time of persecution. There is coming a time. Things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse before they get better. The, we saw there in Matthew 24, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ will return, but it will be after the tribulation. That tribulation period is going to be a time of persecution, of affliction. You're there in Luke 21. Look at verse number 12. Luke 21 and verse number 12. Luke 21 and verse 12. Because here's what you're going to say. You say, well, he wants us to look at the future. But when you look ahead at the future, when you read the Olivet Discourse, when you read the book of Revelation, what glares at you is the fact that there's coming an antichrist, there's coming a one-world government, there's coming a one-world religion, there's coming a mark of the beast that you won't be able to buy or sell if you don't take the mark of the beast. They're going to be cutting people's heads off who don't take the mark of the beast. They're going to be persecuting. So when you look at the future, you say, well, that's scary, and I, I, I'm afraid. And here's what God says, don't be afraid of man who will die. He says, don't be afraid of a man who will be eaten up like a, like, like a moth that eat up a garment, or the way that a, wor a worm eats up the wool. Are you there in Luke 21? Look at verse 12. Now notice what's coming, the future. Luke 21, look at verse 12. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you. Now when he says they're going to lay their hands on you, they're not, you know... They're not ordaining you for the ministry, okay? That laying on of hands is a bad thing. They're, they're laying hands on you like, whack, you know, like it's not good, okay? They shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons. Now listen, it, just looking at it as a human, is that scary? To think there's going to be people 
that are going to be laying hands on us. There's going to be people that are going to be persecuting us. There's going to be people that are going to be delivering us up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Look at verse 13. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. And that's the key, and we're going to come back to that in a second. But verse 13 is the key to trials and tribulations. Look at verse 14. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts. He says, look, before it happens, before you go there, just already settle it in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Because here's what happens, okay? You get thrown into prison. You're going to go stand before a ruler. And the temptation's going to be, I better start getting my story together. I better start, you know, start trying to explain. I wasn't really, I wasn't really in that church service. It's just, you know, I was looking for another place, and I walked in there. Then the SWAT team came, and I wasn't really worshiping, right? We start getting our story together, but he says, hey, settle in your heart that you're just going to walk. You, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. He said, I'll give you wisdom. He said, I'll give you a mouth. He said, I, the Holy Spirit, will give you the words to say. Look at verse 16. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents. Does that sound nice? And by brethren and kinsfolk, and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. I mean, can, can we talk about that? Can, can you deal with the fact that maybe in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our children, Christians, Bible-believing, Baptists, Bible-believing Christians, people who are saved, that there is coming a time when this society will turn on us, and they'll imprison us, and they'll kill some of us, and they'll lay hands on us, and they'll persecute us? Say, well, I don't want to talk about the future anymore. Because it can be pretty scary, the fact that tribulation is coming. Look at verse 17. And ye shall be hated. I mean, does that sound good? Who wants to be hated? Who likes to be hated? We all like to be liked. That's why you like Facebook so much, right? Because you get all those likes. (laughs) But the Bible says there's coming a time that ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not be an hair of your head perish, verse 19, in your patience possess ye your souls. Okay? Here's what you got to understand, okay? He says, you're going to go, if you live through the tribulation period, you're going to go through really hard times where your parents will betray you, where your brethren will betray you, where your kinsfolk will betray you, where your uh, friends will betray you. And by the way, that's why it, you know, people say, well, I started, when I got saved, and I, I really got saved, and I really got, you know, I realized that I didn't have to work my way to heaven, and I didn't have to repent of my sins, and I realized that it is eternal security, and it will last forever. As soon as I started believing those things, all, all my Christian friends, they turned against me. Well, guess what? One day they're going to turn against you so bad, they're going to actually call the cops on you and have you thrown in prison and maybe have you put to death and you will be hated. But here's the, here's, here's the key. Look at verse 13 again. Luke 21, 13. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. See, when we are going through the time of tribulation, and the great tribulation is going to be the worst affliction that ever came on this earth, Okay? But even, even if you don't go through the tribulation, even if you just go through the trials and tribulations of life, through the storms that we just go through in life, you know, sometimes people go through hard times financially, 
or, you know, relationally with their families. They go through hard times physically with their health. And here's what you got to understand. And here's, here's the great opportunity. When we go through hard times, the Bible says, verse 13, it shall turn to you for a testimony. Look at verse uh, 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number, good night. Where do I want you to go? Verse number 19, Luke 21, verse 19, in your patience. You remember when we were studying the book of James, how he kept talking about patience. He said the trial of your faith, and he talked about the fact that it would produce patience. In your patience, possess your souls. Here's, your guys, here's what he's saying. If you can learn to control your fear, if you, can allow, if, you can, if you can keep fear from overwhelming you, he said you can actually turn even the greatest time of affliction this world has ever known. You can use that as a time that will be seen. You can turn that as a testimony if you can possess your souls through patience. You can actually be a testimony to those who are persecuting you during the time of affliction. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember when they, were, they had to bow down before the idol of Nebuchadnezzar? And Nebuchadnezzar brought them and said, you know, is it true that you don't want to bow down to me? And what did they say? They say, they say we don't have to think about it. We don't have to get our story together. We, he said, we, we are not, we, we, we will answer you right now. We don't need any time. He said, we will go to the fire furnace. And their lives were a testimony. The fact that they went through that trial and, and through that affliction and through that hard time. But they did it in faith without fear. And, and, and they, they believed in God. That was a testimony when they came out of it. It was a great testimony for the entire nation of Babylon. And what he's saying is, if you can learn to control your fear, if you can learn to not be afraid, if you can learn to say, hey, I can go ahead and get put in prison. I can go ahead and go through tribulations. I can go ahead and be brought before a king or brought before a judge and have to explain my Christianity and have to say, no, I will not renounce Christ. No, I will not take the mark of the beast. I don't care if you cut my head off. I will stand on my faith. He says that will be a great testimony for those around you that watch you. You say, but that's scary. But but go, go to Luke chapter 12. Okay, let me just give you couple more thoughts while we finish up. Luke chapter 12. Jesus has a wonderful way of putting things in perspective. In Luke chapter 12, look at verse number 4. And by the way, if you, can, if you can go through the great tribulation, you can go through financial problems with a good testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you can go through the great tribulation, you can go through health problems with a good testimony. And people say, well, how, how, are you, how are you doing with that? And how, how are you dealing with that? And why are you just happy? And why are you just content? And you just say, well, you know, I just, I'm not afraid because God is with me. I'm not afraid because I know that God's taking care of me. I'm not afraid because I know that this opportunity right now, this is an opportunity that I can use as a testimony for other people. Look at verse 4. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Notice what it, the Lord Jesus Christ says. And I say unto you, my friends. Don't you love it when Jesus calls us his friends? I just, I just like that when I read that. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And I love how Jesus puts things. Because notice what he says. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Isn't that our biggest fear? I mean, isn't the, the, you've got all these alarms and you've got all these guns and you've got all these things. Why? Because you're afraid that someone's going to break into your house and you're going to wake up and they're going to have a knife on top of you, right? Isn't that our biggest fear? Someone will kill you? Someone will take your life? 
you know, maybe you watch too many Datelines or something, you know, and you're just like, I'm scared, you know, the fact that someone might kill. That's why you get nervous when you're out in the ghetto and you're walking to your car and it's dark and you're like, what's going on, you know? You're walking through that valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that's our biggest fear. But notice what Jesus says. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. And I, and, and, and I, I think Jesus would say that and then he kind of like smiled. He says, look, all they can do is kill your body. And after that, there's nothing else they can do. He said, all they can do is take your life. And here's what he's saying. Are you saved? Are you a believer? Do you know that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? If you believe that, all they can do is send you to heaven. Is take your life. And after that, have no more that they can do. Look at verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. He says, fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And that's what Isaiah said. Go back to Isaiah 51. Look at verse 12. Isaiah 51, verse 12. Isaiah 51, verse 12. Notice what he says. I even I am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the Son of Man which shall be made as grass. And forgettest the Lord thy Maker that has stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? He says, you're so afraid of a man that's just going to die. And the worst thing they can do is kill your body. And you forget the Lord, your maker. And he said, you ought to be afraid of God, who can do more than just destroy your body. And here's what you understand. When you look at the former, it prepares you for the future. But when you look at the future, you must have your eyes on the Father and realize that the worst thing that they can do is take my life. The worst thing that they can do is send me to heaven. The worst thing that they can do is, is just kill this body. But my soul is saved, and one day God will give me an uncorrupted body. And then he says this. Go, just skip down to verse number 22 of Isaiah 51, verse 22. We're going to look at verse 22, verse 23, and we're going to go to Revelation real quick, and we'll be done. Look at uh, verse 22, Isaiah 51, verse 22. Thus saith the Lord God, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of this people, behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling. He said, you had the cup of trembling. You were all scared in your cup of trembling. He said, I took that cup out of your hand, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. Now, he's talking here to the nation of Israel, and they're, you know, the, the physical application is the fact that the Babylonians are coming to judge them. He said, you're all scared about the Babylonians coming to judge you, and you're afraid. He said, but I'm going to take that cup of trembling out of your hand, verse 23, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee which have said to thy soul, bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as a street to them that went over. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 9. We'll be done right here. Uh, I'm sorry, we're not going to be done there. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, and then we're going to look at Jeremiah. And then we'll be done, all right? Uh, Revelation chapter number 6. Look at verse number 9. Revelation chapter number 6, verse 9. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that there is a day of judgment coming? 
I mean, do you believe, do you believe that there is a day coming when God will even the score? When God will balance the scale? Because he says, you're so afraid of these men. He said, one day, I'm going to take the cup of trembling out of your hand, and I'm going to put it in the hand of those who afflict you. So you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, what if one day they, they, they bring that chip out, and they, they make us flee, and they make us run, and they put us in prison? Here's the thing. Do you believe that one day God will avenge you? Are you there in Romans chapter 6? Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, I'm sorry, that's not where I wanted you. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, excuse me. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Notice what he says. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. By the way, that's, that's, the, that's the rapture. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor, power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? He said, where did all these people come from? You know, and get the picture. You know, John is in the throne room of God. And all of a sudden, all these people, millions of people show up from every nation and kindred and tongue and all over the world. And then they ask him, you know, where did these people come from? Look at verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robe? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away their tears from their eyes. See, what happens after they kill your body, if you're saved, it's going to happen. And there's no more fear, no more tears, no more sun. Everything's great. Because the worst thing they can do to a believer is just take your life. So here's the question. What are you so afraid of? I just, you don't understand. I got to get all these guns. Look, I'm all for guns. I like guns. Guns are good. But I got to get all these guns and I got to get all this, you know, this, this food and I just got to get ready because of tribulation. What are you so afraid of? The worst thing they can do is kill you if you're saved. That ought not scare you. Because if you're saved, you got a home in heaven. And if you're saved, God will avenge you. And God will leave in the score. And God will balance the scale. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, here's the problem. Go to Jeremiah, and we'll be done, all right? I know I said that like five times, but this time I mean it. Jeremiah chapter number 12. Look at verse 5. You know this verse, but let's just look at it quickly. Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. I'll tell you exactly why some of you are just freaked out over the idea of the Great Tribulation. Here's why. It's not because you don't know that you're saved. But here's why. Jeremiah chapter 12, look at verse 5. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, 
then how can thou contend with horses? See, the, pro- the reason you're afraid of the horses is because you can't even keep up with the footmen. Some of you have trouble reading the Bible right now when you've got like five of them in your house. How are you going to read it when this book's illegal? Some of you, you're scared to death about going soul winning. How are you going to preach the gospel when you could lose your life for doing it? You, I mean, you, 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 it's like a miracle that you show up to church and, you know, one day church will be illegal. What are you going to do then? He says, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, that's the United States of America. I mean, our nation is corrupt and it's got its problems. But, I mean, for the most part, we live in peace. I, we're not afraid tonight that, you know, someone's going to come in here with guns and arrest us for doing what we're doing. And he says, and if the land of peace wherein thou trustest, they weird thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? He says, look, if you can't even live for God when it's free, if you can't even take the time to pray when, when they're not going to throw you in the lines then, Daniel, if you can't even take a stand for the things of God in freedom, how are you going to do it when it's not free, when it's the great tribulation, when you can die for it. See, you're not scared because you don't know you're saved. You're scared because you can't keep up now. How are you going to keep up then? Say, well, what do you do? You begin to purify yourself. You begin to live with eternity in view. You begin to realize that, hey, things could get really bad for me and my children. I better start getting serious about the things of God. Maybe I should turn off that television and spend some time reading the former things, learning about the Word of God, getting ready spiritually to do something for God while I live in peace in case one day I don't live in peace. Because the worst thing they can do for you is to kill your body. That's it. That's, that's the worst thing they can do. And then you'll go to heaven. So what are you so afraid of? 